We live in a time, and it's always been a time for the Spirit of God to move in our midst. But the Lord wants to be at liberty and here by His Spirit. And when we let Him, because we're free, uh, and we allow the Holy Spirit to move, He will visit us. He comes where He's invited. He comes where He's welcome. He comes where people desire Him and prepare their heart. It was Solomon that prepared that temple and he crossed every T and dotted every I and the Shekinah glory fell. God said, if my people will be prepared, I'll come and I'll pour out my Spirit. And in this hour, we can't make it without the Holy Ghost. Did you hear me? We can't make it without the Holy Spirit. We need the presence of God. Politics is not going to do it for us. Money's not going to do it for us. The economy's not going to do it for us. We need God. We have a spiritual issue in this time that we're living in. And we need a spiritual remedy. And it's Christ Jesus and His wonderful, beautiful Holy Ghost. Amen. So in Joel chapter 2, let's pray over the word and then we'll get right into it. Father, I ask you tonight to help me. Please help me. Help my voice. Help my body. Lord, pray, I pray that you place your anointing upon my life and that I will speak what thus saith the Lord. And you will speak through me. Lord, and let me decrease so you can increase. Let me hide behind the cross of Calvary that whoever's sitting here will hear the word. Those that are watching on live stream or on Facebook will hear. And God, I pray that you'll bless it tonight and that we'll grow, change, mature, be challenged, be chastened. Lord, if you so be it desire to rebuke us or Lord, reprove us, we welcome that too because we're your children and we ask for your very best and if that means that you got to get on to us a little bit, it's all right. Because we love you, Lord, and we want to follow after you and submit to you. Help me tonight, and I'll preach, Lord, and bring glory unto you. In Jesus' name we ask, amen and amen. Now, in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 21, the Bible says, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beast of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring. For the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. And he says, and I will restore to you, restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my, uh, hath, and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And you shall eat in, the, in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed. Now the book of Joel, I'm just preaching tonight, re restoring your ear. Restoring your year. Because if you go to the very first of Joel, you read about the judgments that came because of God's people that had really, in essence, become idolatrous and become apostate. Just like in the book of Revelation, when God began to speak to the first church 
of Ephesus, he said, you've left your first love. You have a remedy, and the remedy is repent. Amen. Repent, or you will no longer cease to be my church. I'll remove that candlestick. I don't want God to remove his candlestick from my life or this church. So we've got to obey what his word says. But there's a beautiful, beautiful end to those that come and do what God has commanded them to do. There's a beautiful blessing that comes. He said, I will restore. I'll restore what you've lost in the past. I'll restore what seems to have been taken from you. I'll restore your lost harvest. And God's going to do it tonight. Amen? And the Word of God, the book of Joel, sums up the year of Israel in the life Uh, Well, he sums up the year in the life of a nation. Israel had been plagued by a swarm of locusts that devoured the land. And I'm not going to get into all of that, but the Bible says the crops were destroyed. It was so bad and such a, a, a host of locusts that came and swarmed and began to uh, devour their fields that even the trees were debarked. They had the bark taken off of them. It was so bad that there was nothing left. And all the efforts and energy of the previous year that they had sown to and the harvest had been eaten up in a matter of weeks. Maybe tonight, in parallel to this in your life, you feel this way today, like locust or uh, you know some some presence or something has come, and we use the word locust because they devour, but they've come de- and descended upon your harvest in your life, and you feel like it's destroyed. Maybe you put a lot of energy into a relationship only to have nothing to show for it. Maybe you gave a lot to your job and you have now been overlooked for that promotion that you were looking for I've been there that feeling of investment for a harvest and it feels like virtually everything you gave your energies to your love to your passion to your time to your sacrifice to it seems like it's all in vain and it's all been a waste but I've come to tell you tonight child of God hear your pastor tonight Tonight, God said to Joel, and he's saying to us the same thing, I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm hath eaten, the caterpillar and the palmer worm hath eaten and destroyed. What he was saying is your harvest will be restored. Amen. God can take and make beauty out of ashes. He said, I call those things that are not as though they were. He's a God of of restoration are you hearing your pastor tonight are you looking at a year or a couple years or 20 years of investment and you're saying my God was it all in vain God knows how to get a hold of you and he knows how to restore your life you woke up now In all of your frustration and disappointment, remember this promise. Because this promise of God restoring is not an antiquated promise. What does that mean when you say antiquated? Pastor, you use these words, I don't know. 
You know what an antique is? Antiquated is a, is a definition of something that's old that seems to be out of vogue and not no longer in fashion. And a lot of times we read the Bible and I feel like we think that there's not going to be a resurfacing or a revival of something in the Bible. It's not for me. Well, don't let the devil interpret the Bible to you because it is for you. It's for you and it's for me. He's a restorer. He'll restore your marriage. You've got to believe him. You can't pray and, 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 and doubt. You've got to believe Him. If you can believe it, Becky sang it. My God can do it. Amen. Jesus said to them, only believe. All things are possible. You know, you've got to want that to happen. You've got to believe for that to happen. You've got to know that God is not giving you a promise that has went out of fashion or expired. Nothing in the kingdom of God is antiquated. It it will surface whenever you believe. Now God's promises come with conditions. Joel revealed God's conditions in verses 12 and 13. For he said, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all of your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. I love that. Because what he's saying to us tonight is you can tap into the blessing of promise from God. Or the promise of blessing of restoration. Or a lost time that you lost. You say, well, where's that in the Bible? He said he would redeem that time. He would restore that which seems lost. I have been in relationships that I thought were, were done. They were over. There was no restoration of them. But God restored them. He knows how to restore what time has destroyed. Or uh, left you... Seemingly, you know, without in your life. But we have to tap into the blessings of restoration, of lost time, and harvest. We must sincerely repent. Let it not just be an outward show, but a deep heart rendering. Broken in repentance. That is a military term which is about face. So when you're in the military, you're marching, marching, marching. You're going this direction. You're going at the order of what your flesh or your soul or your emotions tell you, what you feel in your, your own heart. And you better be careful because if your heart isn't completely saturated with the Spirit of God and the love of God, everything that comes out of your heart is going to be you. You know? And so somebody said one time, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to give that person a piece of my mind. I thought, please don't do that. There won't be nothing left. But when you're in the military, you're marching, marching. And when they say about face, that means turn around. You're going the other direction. I'm going to tell you if you're going to repent, you got to turn around. You can't do a partial turn around. you got to turn around. 
and go the other direction. That's what that means to repent. That means a change. Well, how do I forgive them? You ask God to help you, and as you begin to obey His Word, He will give you the power to forgive. Amen. He'll give you such a power to forgive that when you're around them, you will be able to be in their presence and you won't have nothing against them because God doesn't give you a partial ability. Amen. He's an all-the-way God. But He tells them, don't let it be an outward show of repentance. Rend your heart. Not your garment. Because what they would do is whenever they were in sorrow or they were grieving or they were mourning, they would rip that garment. And that was a huge thing because they didn't have 1,500 pieces of clothing that we have and 25 pairs of shoes and all of these things of, of our wardrobe. They had one or two items and that's what they wore all the time. That's why they cast lots for Jesus' robe because it was so beautiful as purple stood for royalty but they wanted that robe because that was a a very very important piece of your life whenever he said if you got two cloaks keep one give one to somebody else because they didn't have 25 cloaks they had two or one well you can't give them the one you got on please but you can give them your extra one you gave everything that you could what God is saying here in the Word, so I don't get off track here, is He said, don't just rend your garment. Rend your heart. Ask God, don't let me just have an outward emotion and, 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 a, and a brokenness, but let it be broken down deep inside so you can mold me and change me. Broken repentance. God gives us guidelines and instruction with all your heart, with fasting and weeping. Confess, be in agreement with God's view of sin and disobedience. You need to say, some of us need to say, and I've had to say it myself, God forgive me for my attitude because it stinks. It's horrible. It doesn't matter what happened. I have to be right with you and show Christ. And I have to ask you to help me. <clears throat> Remove excuses. Don't call it error. Don't call it lapse in judgment or someone else's problem or someone else's fault. Begin to own the things that you have to change. That's why he said in the Word of God, rend your heart. Come to me with all your heart with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garment and turn unto the Lord your God for he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger of great kindness and repenteth him of evil. I love that. In verse 13, in verse 13, it says, For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. That's the God we serve. We must resume and obey God's word and go back to it, to his word. One of those things that we read here in the scripture is he said, I don't just want them to repent, but I want them to resume their solemn gathering. Oh, this is something that has to be restored and obeyed. In verse 15, he said, blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people. 
Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children. And those that suck the breast, let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priest, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine inheritance to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Why did I quote that tonight? Because first of all, I want to say to you that God is saying to us, We need to gather together. We need to come together. And he's blowing that trumpet. And that trumpet sound. There's some people that are hearing it. And there's some people that are ignoring it. But we should not ignore the trumpet of God. The Bible says there is a trumpet blown for gathering right here in the Word of God. But blown trumpets are all through the Bible. There's trumpets that have various implications in the Bible. Chapter 2 verse 1 of Joel, it starts out with the judgment of the canker worm, palmer worm, locust, all of these things that God allowed. He says it's going to be like a darkness. You're not even going to be able to see the sun and the moon because there's going to be such a blanket, such a herd. I don't know whatever, uh, how, what you call it, but when locusts come in swarms like you've never seen before and they make such a loud noise. I, I was reading today, said they have the face of a horse. They have, you know, the belly of a scorpion, the tail of a scorpion they have the 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 legs of a giraffe they have wings of an eagle they have i'm telling you they've got ten, tentacles on their head like a like a deer they're they're just they're just have so many parts of so many very very swift and 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 eloquent in a sense with eagles but ability they it's like god took the very best of all of his animal kingdom put it in a little bug and then made millions and billions of them to bring destruction you know sometimes people are scared to death of a big animal but I can tell you some small things like gnats and fleas and, and, and all kinds of other little pests can be just as irritating if not more get stung by a couple bees and see how you feel why am I saying that there was a call of a trumpet in chapter 2, to release the judgment, the locust. But there have been other places in the Bible when the trumpet was blown and it meant something different. In Numbers chapter 10, when Moses was told to have them blow the trumpet, it was a call to war. Sometimes it was a call to gathering. You know, when you hear them blow that shofar horn, that is representative of a call to worship, a call to gathering. And Revelation 8, there are trumpets, uh, trumpet judgments against rebelliousness and the rebellion of God rejectors. And that's in Revelation 8. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, the trumpet of God will gather the church at home to be with the Lord. For He said, 
He said, the trump of God's going to sound and the dead in Christ are going to raise first and we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up to meet Him in the air. So the trumpet is blown many times through the Bible and I just said a few times and gave you a few prominent scriptures but you and I, amen, need to hear that trumpet call to gather together that that the, the gathering of the church is a trumpet sound that we don't want to miss. <coughs> Hearing. But this was all, this was all a, a clarion call in Joel chapter 2. After he talked about the judgments that he would heal and restore what was consumed and destroyed. And he said, call that congregation. Call those elders. Call those children. Yes, children need to be called too. You don't set them out aside. I mean, I know we have children's church because they go over there, but they're having church. But I've known people that left their kids at home or I've had seen pastors that their, their children didn't want to be in the service so they let them stay in the office and play video games on the computer. No. Now, if you've got a child that that because of their condition and their special needs, that's a totally different story. But I'm talking about children that can sit in the house of God. They just don't want to. Well, you're going to raise them up and tell them you don't have to go to church. We don't want to try to develop them and try to develop what you know they, they want to do. We want them to be a free spirit. Well, go ahead and, and do that to them and they're going to be raised up and be an ungodly spirit is what they're going to be. They're going to be an independent spirit because and that's not biblical. We're supposed to be submitted to God, His Word, and to the leaders He's placed over us. That is one of the, the, one of the huge things that causes people not to come and truly be saved and set free because they will not surrender and submit. But he said, this clarion call is for everybody. You see the damage and the judgment that's going on. We're, we're living in a totally different globe. We were living in a totally different world with, with, with COVID. But now with this war going on, who knows what that crazy nut over there is going to do. We don't know. But we know this much. God's in control. And, he, and it's a time to come together together because I can tell you the devil will go as far as, as, as he is let to go. But if we push back, I can tell you the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And I find it so interesting that Vladimir Putin thought, you know what, I'm going to go through there in a blaze and I'm going to burn that place down and it's going to be an easy spoil. One day, two days, I'll be over there in Kiev but I can tell you there's Christian people and they're praying around the world and what's the, what he thought was going to take a day or two he still ain't got to the place he wanted to get I know that he's come in with brute force but I also know we serve a God who cares about his people and there's a huge element of Christian people in the Ukraine but the church has to pray because church it could be us tomorrow are you praying? Are you hearing the clarion call? And the call is congregation, gather together. Elders, gather together. Children, newlyweds. 
Yeah, because whenever you got married, you and your lovely bride got a whole year to honeymoon. But he said, when things are bad, you need to cut that short and come and pray with everybody else. That ought to be a lesson to us that no matter how good God, how good your life is or how enjoyable it may be, and even when you're at peace, you still got to pitch in and help and pray. Because I can tell you, when you're going through something, you want people to pray. And don't tell somebody you're going to pray and then don't pray and lie to them. Because we have to have integrity before God and before man. I've got to the place now when somebody asks me to pray, I stop right there. Whether it's a text or something or Facebook or whatever. And I begin to pray right there because I don't want to stand before them and, and them ask me, have you been praying? And me go, oh Lord, I haven't been praying. And if I, if I tell them I haven't been praying, and I, if I tell them that I have been praying and I haven't, then I'm lying. So I'm, 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 I'm adding to my sin. You're a double sinner. You don't want to do that. Because whenever you need prayer, you want people to pray. Amen? So he said, even the newlyweds, brides and bridegrooms, come on out of that honeymoon chamber and get in here and pray with the rest of us. Because it's everybody's issue we're dealing with. I think that's where we're at now. He said the priest and the ministers especially. And I know I don't have to qualify this, but I come on Tuesdays and sometimes I can't pray over here if there's a lot of people in there praying. And I know I'm a loud prayer too. But isn't it interesting, you know, I sometimes I have a hard time praying when people are praying loud, but I don't want you to stop. And I don't like the music being loud, so I grabbed my stuff and I went back here in this young adult's room and I got a hold of God. It's just something with my mind. I can't be distracted. I don't get to pray like I really want to, so I'm here. I'm just not right in here, but I'm praying across that wall. But I know there's pastors that call their church to prayer and don't even come themselves. Leaders, listen, you have a responsibility, especially if you're a leader, to be in the prayer meeting. How can you lead anybody any place you haven't been yourself? Amen. Don't tell me. I, I can't, Pastor. I don't have time. we got people that drive 45 minutes to come to prayer. And you live two miles down the street. Come to prayer. He said, my church, my, my house shall be called a house of? You made a lot of other things, but it's a house of prayer. It isn't Christmas parties and circuses and all that kind of stuff. It is not what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. Let's live up to what God said that we're supposed to do. And He said we're called to sanctification of gathering. What that means is come together. You're responsible to come together. You're responsible to put a pureness on that coming together. Don't say, well, pastor's calling us to pray, so I guess I'll go. No, come because God's calling you to prayer. Amen. A faithful gathering of consecrated hearts that are being rent, not 
in your heart, not just your garment, not just to repent, but to see God turn, repent, and leave a blessing. Because in part of that scripture, he says, let the priest and the ministers howl unto the Lord between the altars and the porch. And he said, spare the people. My God, we need to pray. Spare the people, God. We don't deserve one more second of your grace and mercy, but spare the people that they not go to hell. Give not your heritage to reproach that heathens would rule over us and say, where is their God? But spare them, God. Begin to not let your glory be reduced to rubble. But Lord, raise up a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. There is a prayer of desperation that moves the heart of God to jealousy. And pity for his people. It's right there where we just read it. He said he's gracious and merciful. For he is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him. Even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. Now we must not ignore the trumpet together. That will be the great evidence of the true people of God found in church in a solemn assembly. You hear me? And people that are watching online, listen to Pastor Jonathan. I know you love to watch him sitting on your couch. And I'd rather you listen to me than not listen to me. But if you live locally and you're well and you're able, you need to be in God's house. We do not serve a God of convenience. We serve a God of covenant and we serve a God of commitment. Hallelujah. We don't want to be like those that say, well, I've got a wife to take care of or I've got oxen I've got to get out of a ditch and prove or I've got this to do and that to do because I can tell you Jesus said, if you don't want to come to the wedding, He said, I'll go out to the highways and the byways and find every down and outer, every drug addict, every person that's on the street. I'll bring them in here and bring them into that wedding. We need to be in the house of God if we can. There's no reason for us not to be. And like I said, I understand there's times when you can't be. But when God, in some of the darkest times we're living in, is calling His church to gather, get in the house of God. That will be the great evidence of God's true people. For He said in Hebrews, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves, even so much as you see, even so much more as you see the day of His approaching coming. Oh my. You know why they don't come? They don't believe it. They don't believe He's coming. They don't believe that God is requiring that of them. And they're not obeying His word. I'm going to tell you. On that day, just like Jesus said, there's going to be those that are going to be hypocriting around and come inside. And He's going to say, you ain't got on the wedding garment. Hey, I didn't write it. I'm just the mail carrier. But I want to be very straight with you and very direct. Offenses are no excuse to isolate and not come. Amen. There's people that say, well, I don't want to go there because I there's people that used to go there and I don't even, I, you know, we had kind of a bad situation. Well, first of all, God wants to heal you and He can't heal you sitting on your couch. 
He needs you to be here so we can lay hands on you or you can get in the altar. And the people that you're worried about seeing you don't even go here anymore. They haven't for eight years. So just get in your car and come a mile and a half and get in the house of God. Amen. We'll love you. You'll meet friends. You'll be a part of the body. When you need the body to gather around you, we won't let you sit there and die. We'll pray you through to victory. Amen. We'll pray you through to victory. But offenses are no excuse to isolate. We are not to be an island. We need the body's contribution. It's evidence of submission and obedience to the prophet of God and to God and His Word that you come and gather together just like Joel said to the people of Israel. Amen. I've had somebody say, well, I don't have to go and be inside four walls with people to, to be a Christian. No, you can. You, I only read that one time in the Bible. John, beloved, said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day and he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. That's the only time I read of isolation besides Elijah taken off to the brook of Cherith and it was just for a temporary time so that God could, could, could sustain him in the time of judgment. We need God and we need to be together. You can't have personal touch if you're not here. Amen. We need to be here. You're not going to get encouraged. You're not going to get a fresh touch of God's anointing unless you're there. You may be in that house and you need a miracle and somebody, God, they've been praying and the Spirit of God come upon them and they'll come over and lay hands on you and you'll get your miracle if you'd have been there. Amen. Oh my. Oh my. Now, yeah, we need to be faithful. The New Testament knows nothing of isolated Christianity but fellowship. Community and the body. Somebody said one time, I don't, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. No. And, uh, but there's no place in heaven that's an isolated place for just you alone. Heaven is comprised of the body of Christ together. You know, if I got married to my wife which is like our relationship with God. We have a covenant relationship. And then I never came home again. She'd be like, where's he at? They saw him at work. They, I saw him in the neighborhood. I saw him here. I saw him in the store. But he never come back home. He's been gone for two years, three years. What kind of a relationship is that? It ain't one. Same thing applies with you and I. We need to be in God's house. We need to come and gather. That was the prerequisite and requirement for God to bring restoration. Get in the house and God will restore you. That's what he said. We must not only repent, we must not only gather, we must not only recognize the sound of the trumpet that God's blowing. For a reason. But we must rejoice with a spirit of rejoicing. Listen, he said in verse 20 and 21. But I will remove far off from you the northern army. And will drive him into a land barren. 
and desolate with his face toward the east sea and his hinder part toward the utmost sea and his stink shall come up and his ill savor shall come up because he hath done great things. He said, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice for the Lord will do great things. In the midst of where we're living today, God is going to do great things. He's going to do great things. Doom, gloom, tempestuous times may be about us, but God said, I'm working on your behalf so uh, to answer in your prayer. So rejoice. Rejoice. Act as though it's already come to pass. That's faith. Rejoice. Someone said you may be in a storm in a boat and it may seem so fearful and seem like you're going to be brought to ruin and sink. But it's not the storm that's going to sink you. But how much water is allowed in your boat? If what is going on outside ever fills up your boat, you're sunk. But that's why we have to guard our mind and guard our heart and be in God's Word and be in the body of Christ. Be where He can speak to us. Because those outside voices out there are saying things that are contrary to God and His Word. And we need faith. And only faith comes by hearing the... That's right. We must pray the prayer of faith. We must expect and watch God move mountains out of the way. Calm the storms of our life and restore what has been destroyed. The world says, I'll believe when I see it. But God says, believe it and you'll see it. That's not faith to say, I'll believe it when I see it. That's not faith. That's already the accomplished thing done. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And by faith, I can tell you, there were many in that Old Testament, and Paul records it in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. And he talks about how that they had so many things accomplished. God brought them through the fire. He raised their dead. He brought them across the Red Sea. He began to stop the sun in its place. Faith, amen. It's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to see God move in your life without faith. But if you'll believe Him, you can't say, I'll believe it when I see it. No, believe it. You can't say, I'll I'll believe it when I see it, but say, I believe and you'll see it. I remember it was um, Jose Adamas, and he was from Guatemala. And he was down there, and he had a ministry with children, and he had a home. It was called Hope for Guatemala. And it was a mission that we supported. And I remember he had a little girl that had an eye disease. And she was one of those kids in that, in that, in that uh, home. And she had an eye disease. No money to pay to get them eyes healed or something done to them from a doctor. They were almost closed shut. She could hardly see. They were all gooey and pussy. And, and it was just a, it was sickening. Her eyesight was being lost. And her life was just a mess. A little eight or nine, eight-year-old girl. And so Jose Artemis was led by the Spirit of God. And he told that little girl, he taught on faith one morning in one of their sessions. And he said, if you believe God, I want you to stand up here. And that little girl 
girl came up there. She could barely walk, and she stood there, and he said, I want you to turn around. He said, I want you to fall back to the floor. And he said, I'm going to be behind you. And she said, you are? And he said, yes. And he said, she said, but what if you don't catch me? He said, you got to trust me. you got to have faith that I'm going to do what I said. This is what God says. Take me at my word. And so she stood there, and she was a little hesitant at first. But she said, I believe you, Lord, and I believe you. And I, be- I believe she began to weep, and she fell back in his arms. And the moment, boom, she hit his arms. God healed her. He healed her. She was healed. Just like that. She just fell back and took that nesty plunge and fell into his arms. And God healed him. And whenever she fell back, he said, in the name of Jesus, heal her. I plead the blood over her. And she was healed instantly. Got up from there and them eyes opened up. They wiped all that goo off of there. And her eyes were just blinking with them big old black eyelashes and and chocolate brown eyeballs. And she was healed instantly. So you can't say, I'll believe when I see it. You've got to believe and then you'll see it. And that's what he was telling them. Get in this house. Repent. Call out to God and watch as he begins to return. Repent and leave a blessing. He said, I will restore what the canker worm, the palmer worm, the locust, amen, the, and all of them have eaten and destroyed. The caterpillar hath destroyed. Expect and watch God move mountains, calm storms, and restore what has been destroyed. God can restore your marriage. He can bring your children back from a backslidden condition. He can move in your life. He can pour out His Spirit and restore you to a place where you walked in a complete and total spiritual bliss of the Spirit of God falling upon your life. He can do it. And He will. So rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The Apostle Paul said, Philippians 4.4 Believe and keep believing and rejoice and keep rejoicing and keep rejoicing. I've been praying for a long time. God, open the door because eventually we're going to need more room in here. We already need more room next door. Amen. Amen. And I praise the Lord for that. Because I can tell you, we believe in retention of our second generation. That's how you build the church too. A second generation of on fire believers. Greatest testimony of a church is that the people, the young people, the children that were raised in here, were raised up and they stayed in the house of God and they're serving God today. Amen. It's so beautiful. It's so awesome. And I've watched as God has done that around here in lives and hearts. And you just, you just know, but, but getting back to what I was saying, let me get back up here and figure out where I was at because just for a minute I lost my place. But I'll find it again. He said rejoice and rejoice. I know what I was going to say. Rejoice until the fullness of God's blessings and promises manifest in your life. 
What I was going to say is I've been believing God. We've been praying. I asked the church to pray. We got our lease coming up. And we just kind of didn't respond to her when she sent us a lease agreement. And it's very favorable and it's, it's, it's fair uh, concerning, uh, considering the economy and what they could be charging us. But that all of that being said... I said, Lord, we want to sign a lease here. We want to stay. I don't, I've had people tell me we need to go buy here. We need to go do this. We need to do that. And I said, I've not felt that in my spirit, you know. I've not, I've not felt that. They that be planted in the house of the Lord will be flat, fat and flourishing in their old age. I said, Lord, we've been established here. And I was in prayer one day, and God said, you're going to have this whole thing one day. <laughs> Well, I can't tell you what, just yet. All I can tell you is a lot of people are praying, and God is moving favorably. Amen. And so I said, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. He said, I, 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 you, you're going to be amazed at how I bless your church. Amen. You're going to be amazed. So you pray. I can't say anything yet, but one day you're going to watch. God's going to open that door very shortly. I see it. I know it. I've got a little bird that's been talking in my ear. Amen. Amen. That's right. And so what we're doing is we're continuing to pray. So now is the time to push. Amen. We just got there where God's beginning to show us. He's moving. He's begin it's like, whoo. I'm already getting excited in faith. You can't say, I'll believe it when I see it. No, believe it and you'll see it. Amen. He said, pray, believe. I will restore. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh in the last day. I'll do it. Amen. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. That ought to be enough right there to stir you up. God's already proven that he's done that in this place. He met us at camp. He met us at conference. He's met us here on Sunday mornings and Thursday nights. He's not going to quit. He's already begun to stir. He's already begun to move. And one miracle, listen, don't ever forget this. One miracle means every miracle. Woo! Oh, Elisha was up there on the hill. Amen. And he said, servant, go see. Is there any rain coming? He said, I don't see nothing. He said, go back. So he went back. Go back. Finally, that seventh time, he come back. And he said, well, I see the cloud, a size of a man's hand. Woo, that's all I needed. Amen. All I needed was a little birdie to tell me something's going to open up here very shortly. Amen. That's all I needed. I said, God, oh God, oh God, you're so faithful. He said, I gave you that little bit, that little nugget, that little spark of hope and faith. And what I begin, I will finish. Amen. Hallelujah. I call those things that are not as though they were. Hallelujah. I'm going to open it up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. 
I'm not going to bring babies into this church and not have them to have a place to be. Amen. I'm going to expand their boundaries. Hallelujah. I'm going to expand their... I'm not going to raise up children and have them wall to wall in a little room. I'm going to expound their boundaries. Amen. I'm not going to have a church where there's no place to sit, but I'm going to open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so that you got more than you could even believe God for. Hallelujah. Don't wait till the battle's over. Shout now. I'm going to tell you something. The other day, I don't know if he's watching, but old Walter was working over there, and he asked me to pray for a lady he works with. And he said, she's bad, Pastor. She needs God. It's bad. Well, I come back with my cliché. That I always say, God convicted me. I said, well, we're going to pray she gets saved, and if she don't, we're going to pray God move her. And he, he, he came to me on Saturday. We were over there working. He was. And he said, Pastor, I know you said that. He goes, but I just can't do that. I'm telling you, he preached a sermon to me in, in, in one minute and convicted my soul. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I said, if, if after ben, hearing Ben O'Kello talk about how that God will bring your enemies before you because the people that are right there in front of you, you will not minister to or, 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 or you, you're not wanting to help. And he used the analogy of that man coming at midnight and saying, I'm, I, got, I got family over. I need bread. There's no bread in my house. And he said, well, I'm here. I'm in bed. My kids are in bed. I just don't want to get up and help you. Amen. If you're not going to help a friend, I can tell you, God said, he, he, he scolded him in a sense, but he said, I will, amen, place before you a table in the presence of your enemies, the people that you don't want to help. It seems like they're the ones that God crosses your path with. And church, let me say to you, if the enemy is removed from you because you prayed them out, and sometimes people do need to go, but almost every time, if you will just begin to pray and believe God, God will change their heart, but He cannot if they're not there in front of you. I've heard people say, I just want to be in a Christian environment at my workplace. Well, amen. Let me tell you what that's called heaven. How is anybody going to be ministered to that needs God if you're not placed before their life? But we pray, Lord, I want to live in a utopia here upon this earth. God doesn't want you to live in a utopia here. I mean, we can have heaven when we're in prayer and worship and in church and all that. But when you go out there, you're like sheep among the wolves. And so you got to know, God's placed me before people that I need to impact and influence. He does. He's taking people a lot of places, touching them. Amen. So don't lose heart. He's gonna get. He's gonna get a hold of that spouse. Oh, he's gonna get a hold of him. If you don't believe me, ask Patty Cabrera. He'll get a hold of your spouse. He'll get a hold of your your children. Amen. He'll get a hold of your loved ones. I remember when Jackie come here, she'd weep in this altar. I saw her come by herself. She'd bring her kids, and she's in here weeping in this altar. And she said, I'm right with God. We just got to get Roger in here. And I thought, well, I met Roger. Amen. 
I don't know if Roger's really ready to get in here, but we're going to pray. I can tell you, I prayed, but she really prayed. That's her husband. She wants God in that home. She wants some children serving God. She wants a different life than what she's had. And so she's praying, and we're crying out to God, but God heard her prayer. And Roger got right with God. Amen. And they both got filled with the Holy Ghost. The daughter got filled. God's touching their their children. He's ministering to their family. Amen. Her sister Michelle and Aaliyah come in here. God touched them. Amen. You couldn't go to our camp and not get touched. Everybody got touched. Amen. I think even I think the, 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 the landscaping guy was out there. I thought if he comes in here, he's going to fall out. Torino, come on in here. You need Jesus too. Oh, I'm moving on. If God moves them, the opportunity to influence goes also. He said, I will restore with early and latter rain. He touches us, but then He really touches us. You, you ain't seen all that God's going to do. Let me tell you something. There are times I feel like I've hit the pinnacle. And then God pours it out even more. Every day His mercies are new. Every morning. I close with this thought. With a land that was decimated and devastated by a locust, destroyed invasion, there was no physical offering to be able to bring. But what does God say to them? Come, bring that broken and contrite spirit, and I will receive you. He said in Psalms 51, I'm going to read it to you and read one scripture in Isaiah, and then I promise you I'm going to pray. I don't have no notes left. But Psalms 51, David's repentance after he had committed great sin. And it says in verse 15, he said, O Lord, open thou my lips. Sometimes God has to put that word in your mouth. Amen. There have been times I've spoken things. God put it there. But he said, O Lord, open thou my lips. And my mouth shall show forth thy praise. When you don't feel like praising him, praise him anyway. Say, Lord, open my mouth. Put the words in my mouth. Create the fruit of my lips. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. They couldn't give it. All they could give was what God told them, and it was their heart. That's what he's after anyway. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. O God, Thou will not despise. Sacrifice of the Lord is a broken and a contrite spirit. And we serve an awesome God that loves us. His love is unquenchable. Amen. Many waters cannot quench His love. That was one of the most beautiful messages I think I've ever preached. And it had to have been God because I'm just not that intelligent to do that. It's the Holy Ghost. But in Psalms 57, 15, he said, For thus saith the high and lofty one. Isaiah 57, 15. I might have said Psalms a minute. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell, he said, in the high and holy place with him also 
that is of a contrite and humble spirit to do what? To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Listen, today, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you've lost. But I know this much. If you've repented, now's the time to rejoice. If you haven't repented, repent. You know, sometimes we don't see the things even in our own heart. Our hearts are deceitful above all things. The Bible says in Jeremiah, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Only God. And he tries those reins. That's why we have the preaching to dig up, divide that spirit and soul to get to the depth of God so that your spirit can ascend. We preach it on Sunday. Amen. What I'm trying to say to you is this. Let God touch you. He cannot if you'll not come in faith. And before we leave tonight, I want to give you an opportunity, whether you pray in your seat or you come up here and pray. I know it's late, but you know what, church? It's not the time to be worried about those things. We need to touch God. And tonight, if you got to go, I understand. But for those that are hungry and thirsty, he said, I will not cast you out. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Come down here and pray for your situation. Come down here and pray and say, God, restore back to me what I've lost. And if you've been one that you've already prayed and repented, you've made things right. You say, Pastor, I don't need to repent. Okay. Everybody's at a different place. But rejoice. Get down here and worship Him and praise Him and say, Lord, I thank you that you're going to restore. Some of you need to step out in faith and just begin to praise God for what He's done. He don't want you down here, you specifically down here mourning. He wants you worshiping. You've already mourned enough. No more. He says, now I want you to praise me. I want you to rejoice in me and sing, you children of Zion, because the Lord has delivered you and He's going to restore you. That's the Bible. So wherever you're at, whatever you need, tonight before we leave, I want to give you that opportunity. Amen. Would you bow your heads in prayer?